Welcome to episode 137 of the Men Who Save Football. Usually, we adopt a kind of semi-professional facade of objectivity. But let's face it, this is going to be a self-satisfied and smug episode. Because <laughs> what we witnessed yesterday was nothing short of a miracle. I met up with Ruri before the game. I saw the lineup. Now, you guys had predicted that uh, Stephen O'Donnell might rotate with the bigger financial prize of European money on Thursday against KA. And I was saying how you got to put everything into this game. It means too much emotionally. When the lineup came out, it was rotated as much as it could have been. Uh, we didn't have Patrick Hoban, who we know statistically is our talisman, and the team often struggles without him. So the odds of us getting the better of a full-strength Shamrock Rovers, missing, all right, be it one or two of their own, but still a very impressive-looking team, given our recent history and despite our recent win, that lineup, you know, was a little bit disconcerting. And then going down to 10 men, it seemed to make it almost impossible for Dundalk to come out on top of this. Gentlemen, did we witness a miracle or did we witness a series of miracles? We witnessed multiple miracles. Um, I, I, I said on the last podcast that Thursday was the worst performance of the season. Okay, I'm going to say emotions in, involved and not thinking at all about quality of football. Contextually, that was the best performance of the season. Um, but before the game, me and you were sitting in Kennedy's and we saw the lineup and you look like a deeply depressed man, Ken. Um, and it was just, I mean, we had said that, you know, Rovers weren't at 100% strength, but they were as close to it, you know. And they 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 seemed to not really be rotating as much as us. We saw no Hoban. We didn't need him on the bench. And we were like, oh, my God, we, no hope at all. So we went up there in that spirit. Um, and it was just crazy uh like genuinely one of the maddest maddest 19 minutes of football because um like i, I would say that the, the, the overriding characteristic because it, it, it's all the entire game is all contextualized by the fact that we went down to 10 men so early so we went obviously uh one nil up um and that was it the first thing you know was it 23 minutes we we, we went one nil up and you're like oh god in a weird way that also made me feel bad because you just hope you know you, you get your hopes dashed you're just waiting i kept saying the entire time i was waiting less so to see the rovers put the ball in the net but to hear the rovers fans that sound you know when they score or equalize and then you're just oh. um so the entire game was going for that so we went one nil up and they then had a series of chances throughout the 19 minutes and like even the you know the sending off aside, which I'll talk about now in a moment, like there's just they they should have scored at some stage, but they didn't. Uh, I mean, we could talk about the Johnny Kenny chance, which I saw, but this I still don't believe it. Uh, I've rechecked the footage. I'm looking for some kind of evidence of divine intervention because how he didn't score that is probably proof of a higher power. Um, I mean, that chance was just it, it, statistically, I think, harder to miss. Uh, I didn't score, but I think the, the most important thing about the entire game, and I think what made it such a special event, was the fact that we went down to ten men after thirty minutes, and we spent sixty minutes against the champions, against the current team top of the league, and we held out. And I just think to a man, that the, the the team were amazing. In the absence of Hoban, I thought John Martin put in an amazing shift. I thought he was really, really ran his legs off. 
I thought every player was great. Um, as for the sending off itself, I mean, I think the second yellow, yeah, you can't really complain. And I know the argument is if you're all around the yellow, you don't do that. I think the first one wasn't the yellow at all. I think Rob Hennessy made a whole bunch of really odd decisions in that game. Um, but really what made that game special, but also obviously horrific to watch, was the fact that we went for 60 minutes with 10 men. Um, I think getting to half time was the most important thing because they had a whole bunch of chances. I just kept thinking, they're, they're going to equalise. We kept saying to each other in the stand, I mean, they're going to equalise, just get ready for it, you know, and I was just preparing for it. When we got to half time, uh, 1-0 up with 10 men, you thought, Jesus, something special could be happening. Just after the second half started, they got two amazing chances. Like really soon after the restart, they got two chances. And we started holding out and holding out. And I spent most of the game, to be honest, looking at the clock on the far side. Uh, I just kept staring at that number going up and up and up. Um, but I just thought defensively, we were immense. I will say, let's contextualize this as well by saying, I think Rovers were shockingly bad. Uh, kind of similar to the past result where you have to say, yeah, it's an amazing result early on in the season, but it's also the fact that they, and you know, it was just barely. I mean, they had a few chances, but they didn't. And they, for a period in the second half, they kind of laid siege to us. But once that kind of faded away, I, you know, I don't think they were particularly impressive. I think their fans are well aware of that. But um, as we got closer and closer, seventy minutes, seventy-five minutes, eighty minutes, I just kept waiting to hear the roar of their fans. Some of them to run onto the pitch some of their players to run down in front of the stand. I was just waiting for that inevitable heartbreak and it never came. And I just think, especially the defence just held out amazingly. And Andy Boyle, I mean, to pick at one player, a bunch of all of them, I know Hayden Muller got man of the match, but for me, that was vintage Andy Boyle. That's the, you know, that's one for the ages, Andy Boyle performance. I thought he was amazing. I thought everyone around him was amazing. And, you know, we could talk about the football, but from both sides, it wasn't great but I don't really care because we dumped them out of the cup. It's Shamrock Rovers. We did it with 10 men for most of us. Oriel was absolutely rocking. Um, and it was just pure magic. And then when it went, when when he announced, I think it was at seven minutes, he announced of the, the, the fourth division at seven minutes. And then you're like, okay, they're definitely going to score. It's going to go one all. When they get a corner at the death, you think they're definitely going to score. It's just, it's it, they have to score. And then it'll go one all. Then they'll beat us. And, We'll be on the podcast today talking about how we heroic the hell out, but didn't do it. But when that full-time whistle went, as you said, it would make you believe in a higher power because we witnessed multiple miracles and to hold out was just incredible. And it was just genuinely, genuinely magic. Um, and well worth it as well. Like I, I, For all this talk about miracles and stuff like this, I think we deserve to win the game. Uh, absolutely deserve to win. Uh, they deserve nothing from it. And... Um, it sets up a potentially, you know, magic uh, cup run. You said that this is going to be a, a you know, a season-defining week. I think one half of that has has been done because that was just that. That's one for the ages. Yeah, I'm going to do a strange thing as well and praise the Oriole pitch uh, after castigating it so much earlier in the week that um, we had a lot of rain beforehand, and I think there's many a pitch would have really struggled to absorb uh, that sort of quantity of of downpour. Um, but the Oriel Park surface, like to its credit, one of the things that it's good for uh, is that it plays in all weather conditions. And I would say that probably the amount of rain actually greased the surface up a bit and probably made it a lot better than it was on Thursday night. So I think that was a, a reasonably good start. Like, as you said, 
Rovers really went with the maximum strength that they had. Uh, Stevie chose to rotate instead for Dundalk, and uh, as you said beforehand, right, that was sort of looking at that lineup. My expectation was that both sides were going to rotate, so I thought it might still be a relatively even contest. But once I saw the Rovers lineup, I thought, oh, this this might have been a mistake. <laughs> we could have set ourselves up for a bit of a hiding here. But uh, we had Rory Gaffney limp off after you know two minutes which I guess is, you know, double disaster for Rovers, right? Not only did they lose the game, but having put out their full strength, they lost arguably their best player uh, to injury, like very quickly in the, the game. So um, double negative for them. And then, you know, as Rory said that, uh, Johnny Kenny chance. It's just like an unbelievable miss. It was one of those things, like I've seen it again, uh, on the highlights afterwards. And it actually gets more unbelievable when you actually look at it the second time, right? I thought maybe the first time I thought the ball bounced pretty high after it came back off the bar. And, you know, maybe he would have struggled to get over it or maybe there was a defender already on the line that was sort of putting him off. But I look at it again, he actually like beats the defender to the ball and has the entire open goal to aim for like from four yards out and puts it over the top. Like it just defies belief that somebody would miss that kind of chance. And uh, so I, I think there was a couple of others as well, right? I think Johnny Kenny had that chance right at the start of the second half. Nathan Shepard heroics to, to keep that out. And again, I think uh, Daryl Lee cleared off the line just afterwards as well, right? with a sort of great diving header clearance as well. So, uh, you know, Rory has talked through most of the details of the game at this stage, right? I don't want to repeat everything that he said, but I think there were so many of those sort of quality chances for Rovers that it seems amazing that they didn't score. And like I say, it was heroics to a man. Everybody on the pitch, you know, the, the 10 remaining players gave their absolute maximum to secure that result. And I think at one stage I turned to Rory and I said that uh, Archie Davies, right, over on one side, can't run anymore, right? <laughs> He's running on fumes and has completely exhausted the tank. And I think that was about 80 minutes in. Uh, I think Darren Burnley had just come on as well for Robbie McCord. And so we were out of substitutions and I thought to myself, right, you know, sooner or later, somebody's going to get at him one-to-one and he's just going to completely run out of steam. But, you know, everybody covered from one another. Uh, you know, you already singled out John Martin for praise in terms of covering the ground. But, you know, Daniel Kelly, when he came on as well, like a variety of other people, Ryan O'Kane, like worked his socks off. Like everybody on that pitch just gave absolutely everything that they have. And it wasn't, you know, a wonderful performance from Dundalk in terms of like passing or possession or, you know, the quality of chances that we created, but just for sheer effort, right? Every single player put in their absolute maximum. And I think the likes of Andy Boyle, Hayden Muller, and in particular, Nathan Shepard, right? I think just heroic stuff in keeping Rovers at bay. And at the same time, you would say like Rovers didn't really create that many other chances, right? There's the ones that we already mentioned, which were, you know, very clear cut. But other than that, they had a couple of like speculative headers from, you know, sort of 15, 16 yards. They had a couple of, you know, shots from, you know, 20, 22 yards that were comfortable for Nathan Shepard. But they didn't really, you know, sort of hammer on the door more than that. And uh, so that was a bit of a surprise, right? Considering the lineup that they went with, uh, I think to not even produce more than that, I think would be very disappointing for them. Like that, when I seen the team selection from us, I went, oh, Stevie's at it again, a bit of a rotation here. And I think that probably not at our strongest. And I understand, Ken, what you're saying, like, you know, the passion is there because you want to beat Shamrock Rovers every time you play them, whether it's in the Lancer Senior Cup, whether it's the league, whether it's the FAI Cup, but especially first round of the FAI Cup, because it defines you, Sigurri, the kind of season that we might actually have within this week. Because if you knock out a big player like Shamrock Rovers in the first round, it kind of sets it up 
it's like one of those six pointer games that kind of you know it gives you that advantage you're not going to you're not going to you know face them again at any time not in the next round not, not in the final if you're very very lucky to get that far you know so the team selection was one that you're kind of looking at and as, as you both pointed out as well like rovers having you know they, they mean like we said it before rovers have an immense squad it doesn't matter what 11 they put on the pitch they're really nearly at full strength when, when they do that whether it's the new players that they've brought in this season or whether it's the players that they signed from us or the ones that came back from from england it, it doesn't really matter they're they're such an impressive team on paper um but they've come to oriel park twice and they've looked less than impressive both times because we basically stood up to the challenge of what was in front of us um i so i think you definitely have to tip the hat and say that was a brilliant selection by by stevie to rotate the squad um and to keep to keep us right the players like down to a man were absolutely amazing yesterday and one thing is for sure we can certainly play um, with 10 men much better than we can play against 10 men that's a fact i know it's a really really weird one but it is a fact um uh, we're definitely much more assured like for, for all like i suppose the, the 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 quality that rovers have in their team you're you'd be expecting them yesterday like when we go down 10 men just kind of split us open to be able to kind of you know really really just tear us apart but the quality use the extra man because that's the quality that they have in their team and they never they never seem to be able to do that they had their chances the johnny kenny one i know you both mentioned it but i have to mention it again how does he miss that it is just incredible you said martin like it's that or Rory, you said that, that like you think okay it's it's an overstretch but it's harder to actually miss that than it than it is to, to um to, to put it in it's just just incredible so um i just yeah absolutely baffled but absolutely brilliant as well um uh, class to see it because I think when things like that happen to a team you can kind of make them think that their luck isn't in on a day and their luck certainly wasn't in yesterday but Sherlock Rovers as I said before with that quality in their team they should be making their own luck they should be dominating games they should be they should be out of the title their title race should be over the stage do you know what I mean they should be Europe they should be still in their Champions League as well but anyway that's for another conversation but uh, yeah, absolutely immense yesterday and such a buzz uh, around the town. It was incredible buzz in the Carrick Road after the game. People coming down, feeling really, really good, really elated. And uh, it was just absolutely class. It's always brilliant to to, uh, to win a game in Oriel, but to win against Shamrock Rovers is absolutely incredible and amazing. I've seen a few comments from other fans about the game and we can get to this perhaps a little bit later. Some of them are, I think I saw a Derry City fan who was a little bit mystified as to why this game means so much to Dundalk fans and where the rivalry comes from. There certainly seems to be a zero-sum game where, like, I mean, if we had been playing Derry and they had won and gone marching on, there wouldn't be quite the animus, you know, you take your beating and you get on there. There does seem to be a very much a a zero-sum emotional game whereby, as Rory was saying, you were just waiting for the cheer of their fans for an equaliser. Their pleasure seems to be even worse than our despair. Uh, the two sets of fans do seem to enjoy getting one over on each other more so than most. We can perhaps come back to that, but what makes the performance really impressive, like we've been we've been talking about quality. I don't think quality of football really was a variable in the equation of yesterday's game. There wasn't much of it from either side, but as an emotional experience, as something to observe, to be a participant on, I, I think the fans had a really, really amazing day yesterday. There are some games that come along and they really bond the fans and the players closer together. And I think yesterday was a prime example of that. 
Rory talked about looking at the clock. I found yesterday from the sending off onward to be one of the longest hours of my entire life. And as we approach and as the hope kind of rose and we approach that final whistle and full time, the stakes seemed to get higher and higher emotionally. Once again, you were dreading the prospect of that equalizer, every corner kick, every free kick. And in the seventh minute of injury time, the sight of Alan Manis going up into the box, you know, the prospect of a Rovers equalizer there, which would have probably swung the entire tie in their favour with their numerical superiority and another half an hour to endure. It was just too, too dreadful to behold. But what I'd like to ask, and maybe Martin, you could take this on with your sort of analytical um, perspective. We had a similar situation back in March. Rovers came to Oriel. We went down to 10 men. And from then on, they absolutely ran the show. They ran out 4-0 winners. They dominated, despite a brave Dundalk performance, one in which we kind of tried to keep creating chances and we played on the front foot and we tried to get forward. But ultimately, I think we were quite generous to Shamrock Rovers after that game. We, we lauded them for being a pretty good team with technically gifted players throughout who had certainly taken full advantage of their numerical advantage on the day. The question is, the two teams that lined out yesterday, with one or two changes here or there, are essentially the same sets of players. What do you think was different tactically about yesterday's performance compared to that 4-0 defeat earlier on? And of course, the, even in a way worse was our 2-0 defeat in Tala when they had uh, the man disadvantage. We've beaten them now twice in a row. It wasn't true outplaying them, but tactically we seem to have worked out something about them. What do you think that is, perhaps? I mean, it's tempting to say that the game at Oriel earlier in the season, Rovers were already 1-0 up when Robbie Benson got sent off. And I think Dundalk on that day had to take the approach of coming out and trying to play some more football, trying to get back into the game. And I think that left us very exposed on the day and you know, Rovers sort of ran riot in the end. Uh, yesterday, it was Dundalk who were in the lead before the sending off, and I think that really gave the team something to cling to, right? So we didn't have to be adventurous. We didn't have to go out, you know, looking for something else. And as Rory said earlier on, right, we just wanted to get to halftime. Uh, like, that was a, a vitally important sort of stage of the game, and Rovers, you know, were sort of starting to engineer a couple of chances, like, coming into halftime. And it seemed like, you know, getting there was an achievement in its own right. You know, before even worrying about the second half, we had the opportunity just to try and see at that, you know, sort of 15, 16 minute spell. And, you know, it's a little bit hard to say, like, have we adjusted something tactically? Like, have we figured out rovers? Because, you know, there's a lot of variables at play between like the personnel that were on the pitch and like I say, the circumstances of who was in the lead at, you know, particular times when this happened. But like I say, you certainly couldn't fault the work rate of any of the, the Dundalk team. And I think maybe by comparison in the game, I think that we got things positionally correct, right? Everybody was playing in their favorite position, you know, more or less. Um, I suppose Skip with, with an interesting approach where he had Daryl Leahy and Robbie McCourt uh, on the pitch at the same time. And then he had Archie Davies maybe playing like slightly further forward on the, the right hand side of midfield or sort of as a wing back and I thought that was an interesting adjustment because the Rovers wing backs never really got at Dundalk yesterday in any occasion right all of the time I think you know between the our wing backs or you know our midfield or you know people like Ryan O'Kane working back we did a really great job of doubling up and I think maybe there was only one occasion where I think Daryl he sort of slipped over the ball and stuff like that and a Rovers player got sort of in at the back line but other than that, I think down the, the channels, Rovers never really created anything. 
uh, in that game. And I think that was a big contrast to some of the games earlier in the season, right, where Rovers really dominated down the, the wings. And we had people like, you know, Daryl Lee looking a bit exposed and stuff like that when he was up one on one or, you know, sometimes Robbie McCourt. And I think overall that sort of forced Rovers to sort of come into that sort of packed, you know, sort of area just outside the box. And at the same time, there was so many bodies there, right? They never really got the chance for somebody like, you know, Graham Barker, you know, to get the ball on his left foot, you know, and have a swing and that kind of thing where he's really dangerous. And we, you know, already called out, I suppose, the, the performances of Andy Boyle and Hayden Muller and people like that who really smothered those chances, right? So I think by contrast, Rovers really tried to look to go in behind, right? So as much as they could, they were trying to sort of chip balls into the likes of... um Johnny Kenny and this kind of thing. And I think the, the the amazing miss that he had was maybe one of those occasions where he broke the offside trap. Nathan Shepard wasn't quite quick enough off his line, right? And he, he really got in there. But they were trying that same pattern over and over again. And I think the Dundalk backline did a pretty good job of playing the offside trap, right? There was several sort of offsides for, you know, people like Aaron Green and stuff of this. But generally speaking, right, they never really managed to unleash the, the forward line and we just managed to crowd them out in the middle there. Um, I don't know, like, if Rovers had been in the lead or something like that and we had to chase it, I would say, like, that would have been a very different game and uh, probably a very different result in the end. But I think circumstances conspired, you know, to sort of make that uh, an opportunity for us. And like I say, the players went and took it. Like, aside from that as well, I think an interesting thing to talk about, for instance, was the difference between... Because we could talk about tactically what Dundalk did differently, but if you even think about the difference we saw in effort or between uh, yesterday and Thursday against Bruno's Magpies. I mean, there's two different teams, two different clubs, if you ask me. The lethargy against uh, Bruno's Magpies, even though we won 3-1, uh, was just, we, we made them look good. And in contrast, we sort of humbled the champions of Ireland a few days later. The one thing I would have said about the, the performance against uh, Bruno's Magpies, which was... Uh, you know, uh, characterizes quite flat. It was the complete opposite uh, yesterday. So we've been talking about, you know, the spirit of the team and a spiritual crisis. So it's one thing to talk about, you know, one thing is the tactical um, uh, way we, we we dealt with Rovers. And I think that's true. Rovers had a certain approach and just like people like Muller and, um, and Boyle were able to mop it up. We were able to handle everything they threw in there. Um, but also just the... I think it was almost a circumstance to go one up to go down to 10 men, something kick-started into that team that they weren't going to go down without a fight. You know what I mean? It's in a weird way, like kind of Damien says about the playing with 10 men versus playing against 10 men. It almost feels like going down to 10 men is what saved the day because it gave everyone a renewed sense of, uh, of, of purpose. Because... If you're one nil at Shamrock Rovers and it's a cup game, and the game is going on normally, and maybe thirty minutes, thirty five minutes, forty minutes, they might eventually pick away and undo you. I mean, we know they have the talent to do that. Break in behind us, beat the offside trap, and and score, and then you know you've you've got a fight on. But it's almost as if they, the the dark team knew right. We're up against it now. And that, then they raised their game because just, especially in the second half, they're battling, battling, battling every single player. So on top of whatever tactical um, 
things we did correct and i think martin's correct about about you know positions uh, everyone was in their favorite position um but i just think everyone threw in uh their lot i mean you know john martin ran himself into the ground i think even ryan o'kane constantly you know was looking to get down there um everyone and then the changes you know we were able to make some changes and bring on people like greg Sargent and stuff like this and then they were able to get stuck in um but it just it's the it's the, the difference in attitude to thursday's game to this and then you could maybe in hindsight write off thursday's game in which the team knew they were going to win in some way and they just didn't really push themselves out but on sunday they didn't know they were going to win and in fact when you're down to 10 men you probably think the odds are now definitely against you but they they rose to the occasion because i think the it's to me another thing i keep thinking about this morning is the difference in effort we saw that's two different completely different sides thursday and sunday i mean to me they're unrelated they're from different universes the the, the performances we saw um and what i just hope is whenever we see a performance like that is I think I said this before earlier on the season after you know a similar battling performance, which is I hope they remember they can play like that. Because another game you've up at Oriel Park, or more so you're away, and then you realize you'd love to go down and stop the game and bring out an iPad and just show them highlights of yesterday. And so you did that. You're capable of doing that. Because it does seem like they forget that they're capable of doing that. Because we will see another at some stage of the season, we'll see another lethargic performance where nothing seems to click, and you'd want to just pause. And remind them, put it up on the big screen, okay? Shep, go down injured like he tends to do. Get skipped, turn all the players around and get them to play the highlights reel up on the screen at Oriel Park. And just remind them of what they did yesterday because it was it was a, it, just a hugely impressive performance. And just one other thing you were saying about, you know, maybe some fans might question, well, why were we so elated about it and stuff like this? First round of the cup, blah, blah, blah. But listen, it matters. It does matter, you know? Uh, to, to beat Rovers... Is always special, um, but to beat them in those circumstances, kick them out of the cup, uh, first round, to do it with 10 men, and but to do it in such a good way. It wasn't just that we ground out, it was just a fluke result and they missed their chances. I think we actually put in a performance that you will you will remember for some time. If we just turn to the events of the game, and I don't wish to add to his woes because as a young player, uh, you've mentioned Johnny Kenny's uh, incredible miss. The rebound is probably marginally more difficult than it looks, but it just looks so bad when you're four yards out and you've got the entire goal at your mercy without the keeper or the defender there. But he had a really bad day in that I think it's him that misses the clearing header, which looks quite comfortable before Hayden Muller scores the actual goal. And subsequently then just not a lot seemed to go right for him, but he wasn't alone. It's only a couple of months since we were lauding the technical quality of these players. However, as Martin said, you know, when they have done us damage, it's when their players with pace like Gaffney and even Green have got behind our defence in space. You'll remember that time where we tried this high line approach uh, when we were going head to head for the league last season. And it, it really didn't work at all. And we had a tough day with a series of injuries and it, the shoes seemed to be very much on the other foot. It seems that by having something to hang on to and just laying back, we denied them the space to sort of play their white players in behind the defense. It was remarkable that almost at no stage did Rovers get behind us in numbers. They couldn't pass their way through the Dundalk ranks, which limited them then to just 50-50 crosses, which Muller and Boyle and McCourt sort of ate up all day long. Corner kicks from which they had some very good chances. I think we've 
we can count the miracles that Johnny Kenny misses perhaps one, but the Nathan Shepard save from the Sean Hoare header that comes back off the post, Lee Grace puts it on target, and Shepard manages to get up to just under the bar and flick that onto the roof of the net. You know, there was so many, so much emotion vested in the game. Like sigh of relief was audible when when that one took in. There was actually this nervous titter of laughter after the Kenny miss because people were both, you know, horrified that it looked like an inevitable goal, and then the miss was so comical that there was this real pantomime atmosphere for a few minutes afterwards. Just on the stroke of the second half, one of the big danger moments. I think Kenny again gets away. Shepard saves. Then Burke. Puts a decent shot on goal. Leahy clears it with a diving header. Sometimes when you get those moments and they go your way, they accumulate to give you a growing sense of confidence and to deflate the uh, the opposition. And Rovers just seemed to trudge away. Now, what was remarkable was, and this was probably what's causing some discontent among their fans, compared to the way in which they totally took the initiative in our two earlier games this season, we mentioned last week that they seem vulnerable after a very lackluster European performance. And that lacklusterness was there in evidence again. They seemed to try the same old thing, long diagonals, crosses. That was pretty much all they had. And we were stifling out everything else. When you look to the bench, the changes they made didn't seem to really impact. Liam Burke came on, didn't really notice he was there. Aaron Green had a quiet game. The loss of Rory Gaffney was perhaps significant, particularly given um, how poorly his his uh, replacement performed. So all in all, we did seem to find Rovers in something of a, a you know a vulnerable state, and we took full advantage of that. We've talked about the spiritual crisis. I think we can. It's not premature to say there was absolutely no evidence of that yesterday. This was a team. We we the phrase we used was, you know, where is the desire to win in this team sometimes? When you looked at the Bruno Magpie's performance or some of our other league performances, you're there. Who is driving the team? Where's the leadership? Where's the desire to win? Where's the defiant spirit not to be beaten? Well, it was there in evidence yesterday, all across the pitch. And you could see it in lots of different players. I mean, Johannes Yulikoko, who we would never have had down as a physically assertive player. He was actually toppling Rovers midfielders off the ball. He was everywhere. I thought he had a really good performance. Technically, we kind of know that he has a good touch and he has an eye for a goal. And, you know, he generally has lots of those attributes to his game on the creative side. But I thought he was really into the game. He was really uh, he was really physically showing something that we hadn't really said before. I thought Paul Doyle was very unfortunate in that in this very frenetic, often... Let's face it, the game was predominantly long ball from both sides. There was lots of periods of head tennis and physical competition and not much passing fluidity. I thought within the midfield, Paul Doyle was perhaps the most composed of our players. He was the one that was taking a decent first touch and finding a man and trying to get a passing rhythm going. Um, as you mentioned, the sending off seemed a bit bit harsh. I'll be honest, I thought both yellow cards were justified at the time, right? I think the first one, he's a little late. He catches the Rovers player with his studs on the top of the foot. And, you know, the referee brandishes a yellow card. It was early in the game. I thought, you know, there's a chance that maybe the ref will have a word in his ear and tell him to, you know, sort of uh, keep his nose clean for a bit afterwards. But he went for the yellow card instead. And like I say, I, I thought it was justified enough. And then the second one, I think Aaron Green is sort of turning and getting away from him a bit. He grabs him by the arm and, you know, sort of tugs him back. And it's one of those that, you know, I, 
it was so far up the pitch. I don't think there was a break on. I don't think it was a genuine you know, sort of goal scoring opportunity or something like that. But I said to myself, Paul, you're already on a yellow card, right? That is, you just, that's the thing you don't do if you're on a yellow card. And again, the referee, you know, we, we often talk about consistency from referees and stuff like that. You, of all the things you can say about Rob Hennessy's performance yesterday, right? He was consistent in what he gave cards for. And, you know, that was just, I think, I, I would have to say that I think the blame is on Paul Doyle in that case, right? He's got to understand that he's already on a yellow card and there's certain things that you can and cannot do. And I think on that occasion, right, he just gave the, the referee too much opportunity. If I'm entirely honest, I would agree with you, but I would make this, uh, I would put this asterisk beside that. They may have been by the book two yellow card offences, um, but I did think the punishment was maximal in that a talking to for the second one. I, I it wouldn't have been unprecedented given, you know, the spectacle of the game and the fact that you don't want to unnecessarily tip it from a good contest into something of a foregone conclusion. And I would say that Johnny Kenny had a very similar challenge to the first Paul Doyle yellow against Archie Davis in the box and didn't get a yellow card for it. Um, a lot of people are giving out about the ref. The ref is never going to be popular. But, you know, I don't know. I, I, it's not the worst referee in performance that I've ever seen. Uh, but certainly when Paul Doyle got sent off, it did seem to be inevitable that this was going to tip the game away from us, but it, it didn't happen. Just for the neutrals, the ones who are kind of wondering why this means so much, can any of you try and explain why uh, the Dundalk-Shamrock Rovers rivalry sort of uh, hits hits a little bit more emotionally a, a higher point on the scale than most other rivalries? I've been thinking about this over the years. I remember used to talk to my dad about it, and we used to say as well, for instance, that, I mean, I think externally, people think that probably Drogheda is to Dundalk fans some big rivalry, but it's not really at all. Like, it's just, you know, I think the, the two towns hate each other, but I don't think football wise, you know, yeah, you know, it's just Drogheda or whatever. And even during the Cork years, it was like they were our temporary rivals, and yeah, but even Dundalk fans were always like, eh, it's like a, it's, I, I said it before, it's like a summer romance, but Rovers are the real <laughs> inverse romance. They, uh, the uh, you know hatred, and I'm going to say something here, and uh, you know it is partially due to their success. You know, let's 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 be honest here. Why is why do people hate Shamrock Rovers? Because of their success. You know, it's 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 natural. It's like Manchester United in England. Everyone hates them because of their success, and then that success breeds a attitude. That is manifest maybe in some of the opinions and behaviors of some of their support base, and that adds fuel to the fire. So it's fun to be honest with you. It's 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 part of football to have to have rivals. And I know, like in in Dublin, you've got obviously um, Bows Rovers tradition, Bows shells, and stuff like that. I think Shamrock Rovers. It's just because I mean Dundalk are the most successful non-Dublin club. They're the most successful club. Over the years, they're the ones. I mean, if you think about like the eighties as well. I think the four in a row bred it a lot into every non-Rovers fan in the country. That four in a row thing, you just end up hating them because of that. And um, I'll be diplomatic in everything else I say here, but it just—I mean, it's—it's it's almost passed down generationally. You know, I know I just got it from my dad. You were just told from from birth, Shamrock Rovers. 
they're the enemy. They're the enemies at the gate. They're the orcs, whatever. And you just don't question. Then you one day you realize for no reason you hate them as well. Um, but it is it's part of the fun of it. I mean, football wouldn't be nowhere near as much fun without that. And it is Rovers. They, they, I mean, they're the biggest club in the country. I mean, that's undeniable. They are the biggest club in member size, probably in resources. They are the most successful club. So there's they're the Death Star. You know, they're the you know they're the they're the big bad enemy, and you want to beat them. So it's it's great every time you beat them and. I don't know. I, I, I would be a bit surprised for other fans of clubs not understanding that because it's part of the fun of football. I mean, you go to football for games like yesterday because, yeah, you play teams week in, week out, and you know, okay, you beat a Sligo Rovers and you beat a Cork, and that's that's grand. But when every question you dump Shamrock Rovers out of the cup with ten men, that's magic, okay? And it's just because of who they are. I think I think you're right, Rory, in terms of the the generational thing as well because when i was growing up my grandfather <clears throat> would, have been, would have been the exact same he would have been like you know really up for for the rovers game it was always like you know going down to Middletown or you know rovers are coming to town and stuff like that the other thing and ken you pointed this out as well like uh, i think rovers well we obviously know rovers the most successful club but i think we're 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 next then when it comes to league titles so you know if you don't understand that rivalry then then you know i think you're, you, possibly it is like and i understand it coming from a Derry city supporter like their success in the league, you know, due to different reasons, would not be like our success in the league, okay? Because we've been in it for an awful lot longer. So the rivalry is there. So I understand it coming from a Derry, Derry City support, not understanding that rivalry. Like, but that, to me, there's always been a rivalry there. Like, Drogheda is the town down the road, but they've always just been Drogheda. You know, there's never really been that rivalry because there's never been that competitive rivalry between the, between the two clubs. I think that's where it is. That it comes down to success and stature as a football club. When, when you're kind of going toe-to-toe, toe-to-toe with them and at times in your in your history, then it's certainly, you know, a rivalry that's there. For me, you nailed it with the generational thing. And it's it's just a factor of who's been competing with us for league titles in, you know, um, you know the 70s and the 60s and the 50s and that rivalry. And I think Rovers really do. They do very well at playing the league's bogeyman because I think uh, their fans kind of often will exhibit this sort of air of entitlement that anybody who turns up, you know, and and, and has the audacity to compete with them is is somehow, you know, uh, getting above themselves. It was uh, from a fan's point of view, the shed was rocking. The stand was singing. It was a great day for fans. It gives us a real bounce going into our European tie now. And that's where we've got to focus. As you guys said, this is really kind of where the financial lifeline of the club goes. We've seen the draw now. If we can overcome KA of Iceland, currently ninth in their division, the prize is a trip to Denmark or Belgium, Bruges or Aarhus. Uh, what do you know about those potential rivals? Uh, we're getting to the stage where they, these are names you recognize. These are clubs which are like Vitesse Arnhem. They're now a little bit further above the food chain. First of all, do you think we can come away from Iceland with a successful result after that morale-boosting win? Who do you think has played themselves into contention for that tie? And where would you prefer to go if we do win, uh, Denmark or Belgium? Well, Rovers played Genk, I think, last year and, you know, struggled away from home. But yeah, I think they, they got a draw on Tala, right, which gives you some estimation of, you know, where the, the leagues are at. I think Bruges are a very big club with, you know, a lot of history, but you know, where are they at right now? We're probably about the, the same level, you would say, as Genk. So I think we have a good sort of ballpark to aim for there. I think Irish club clubs have struggled a little bit more against Danish opposition, though, right? I think 
when you know various people have come up against Midgetland or um, some of the other sides, right? They've generally been well beaten. And so I think Bruges might actually be the, the seeded team in that draw, but at the same time, I'd be almost more wary of having to go to Arhus, right? I think the, the level of the Danish league seems to be that, you know, little bit further above. And so I think, you know, were we to get through, whoever we play in that round, right, we would have to be playing at our absolute maximum, you know, to try and be competitive in that tie. So I think on paper, it's pretty difficult, you know, to see whoever wins the tie that we're, we're playing against uh, KA. You know, advancing uh, around beyond that, right? That's that's going to be very difficult. But I think geographically speaking, right, it's not the worst draw. I think when we've at times had to go to Azerbaijan or you know places in distant Eastern Europe, right, it's been very hard to get to and very expensive to get there and things like that. And I think by comparison, the thought of going to Belgium or Denmark is you know pretty good from a fan's perspective, right? So I think it it offers a bit more from that. Um, who's played themselves into contention, right? I think. We had a very good performance, I think, from Hayden Muller, right, in defence uh, yesterday, right? You would certainly be tempted to say that, like, he gave a sort of energy and stuff like that to, uh, to the proceedings that uh, was certainly lacking, I think, uh, against Bruno's Magpies, right? Can he sustain that? Uh, I'm not sure, right? There have been other times where, you know, his positional sense and, you know, some of his competition for the ball and stuff like that has been a bit lacking, but you certainly couldn't fault the effort and the quality that he um, provided on Sunday. He's definitely given something for his, his manager to think about. Um, we saw, I think, Darren Burnley for the first time as well, right? He only got a sort of cameo appearance and probably wouldn't have played if it hadn't been for Robbie McCourt getting injured, right? But uh, I think he was sort of thrown into the mix with, you know, nine or ten minutes remaining. And uh, he acquitted himself fairly well, right? I think he had a couple of one-on-one -on -one, uh, challenges that he came out on top in, right? So I think that's a good sort of confidence-boosting thing for him. But I get the impression that he's still sort of building his fitness uh, a little bit compared to probably the rest of the squad. So I would be a little bit surprised if uh, if he was involved. Um, I don't know, aside from that, right, I'm tempted to say that, yeah, certainly Patrick Hoobin and probably Louis Ansley will come back into the, the squad for Thursday's game. And uh, Greg, Greg Slockett as well, I would expect to probably be in the, the starting 11 too. So that's going to necessitate like a little bit of rotation from what we saw on Sunday. Um, I think the only other person is probably John Martin, right? I think, again, you absolutely could not fault his effort. Uh, I think he was very effective against Bruno's Magpies when he came on, right? He really provided the difference, certainly for getting the second goal, but, you know, put us back on top in that tie. And his work rate against Rovers, right? Some of his first touch and control and stuff like that was, you know, a little bit ahead of some of his colleagues. So if he was to be in the first 11 as well, I wouldn't be, you know, too surprised. But um, I don't know. I guess we'll we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I would say Hayden Muller will be the one that uh, stands out for me as being someone who probably has has, has given Skip plenty to think about. Um, because I think in the circumstances, I mean, him and Boyle were just immense together. Uh, so I think Hayden Muller would would be the one with a big shout. And again, John Martin as well, because I, I would agree with both of them. I think they were the two that really stood out just for, for their effort. As for the European trip, I mean, if you look at... If we overcome KA, I, I don't think we're getting past the next round, to be honest with you. You know, stranger things have happened, bizarre, miraculous things. We're witnessing miraculous events <laughs> around this team. But um, I would say possibly wouldn't go beyond that round. But if we do get to that, you know, three rounds in Europe, you know the owners will be very happy with that money in the coffers because... It's no secret that money's a bit tight around the club. So it would probably go down as a pretty good European campaign. 
if we get past KA and we went out to the likes of Club Bruges, you'd probably put that down as that's a pretty good summer. Uh, it'd be the envy of most other clubs in Ireland. And I'd say the owners would say that's a pretty good return on, because I mean, getting into Europe last year was way above anyone's expectations. To have gotten through three rounds this summer, and you know, I think that would go down as yeah, that was a pretty good uh, spell. Um, and uh, you know, potentially this experience and especially you know the performance on uh, Sunday might reinvigorate the team for the final, you know, for for the run in in the league because. I mean, the, the Cup in Europe is this kind of current, this week's kind of focus. Um, I mean, we're we're probably not going to get into the Conference League, but I said, I think it would be a pretty good summer if we get to the Bruges. And that'll be a big occasion. Just say it is Club Bruges, okay? Um, that'll be a big occasion for the club, you know what I mean? Probably won't win, but that, I think it'll go down as a good summer. We go on in the Cup, and when we return to league action, you never know, for that final run-in, this whole thing might give us... Now, I know... The, the big issue then is the squad and uh, the squad being stretched and the amount of games we have. But um, I, I I think uh, as far as we go in this European adventure this summer is great. You want to, you for football reasons, you want to go as a fan, you want to go as far as possible. But practically speaking, the money will be really good and really helpful to keep us ticking along this year. So um, I don't think we'll get... Uh, you know, I mean, we still have to overcome KA. You never know what's going to happen there. But... I would say that's as far as we're going to run, but I wouldn't be mad at any of that. It would be a pretty good summer adventure. I think that the team that the, that went out against Brutus Magpies, I think that's going to be a starting eleven. I think, uh, in KA. And one thing this team has shown us is that they've surprised us like everywhere. I mean, they've surprised us and how bad they were against Brutus Magpies and then how good they were against Shamrock Rovers. So I think they're a kind of team that I think Skip uh, will, will have them kind of you know, the tactically well-versed to go out and, and put in a performance. I wouldn't be surprised if we got a bit of a, a, a result against KA, considering, considering you know, it would be a step up in terms of quality, and I think that we can step up. Can we step up and match them across two games? I don't know, but I certainly think that we can kind of step up and 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 uh, get some type of uh, result against them. So, hey, I echo everything that Rory said, you know, through the next round would be really, really good. It'd be good for the money in the club. And then, you know, but... Look, we take it one game at a time, and uh, I wouldn't be say I'd be feeling overly confident, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if, if we got something from from uh, from Iceland. Now, given that Twitter is now X, shall we turn to X to see what the fans made of the game? As you said, Ken, we still call United Park United Park, and will never change. So I think uh, Elon Musk will have his work cut out getting us to change it from Twitter. But turning to X or whatever it is called this week, um, we asked. For a reaction to yesterday's amazing result. Mark Carolyn comes in with every single player gave everything. Skip urging the Oriole faithful on. Place absolutely rocking. Beating Rovers doesn't get better. Kevin Mullen said incredible composure to see it out. Vintage Andy Boyle. Sheps with massive saves at big moments. What an atmosphere at the end. Uh, brand new retro. Brian came in with Nathan Shepard was fantastic again. Our best keeper since Richie Blackmore. Uh, Adam said, one of my favourite victories over Rovers, Boyle and Shepard were excellent, but the whole team stepped up when needed. Michael Shine continues to praise with incredible hard shift put out by the team. The five at the back worked again uh, against Rovers, given the weekend team on purpose and 10 men for 60 minutes. 
up against three in a row champions. This has to go down as one of the best results in recent years. Andy Boyle, man of the match all day long. Rory Gilson say, continues the Andy Boyle love. Andy Boyle masterclass. Coco, Martin, Leahy, McCourt, Muller had their best games. If, when we lose Shep, ourselves only to blame. Time to back skip. One of those performances, magic. Robbie Morton said, please get the podcast out now. Uh, no more bundling after a victory over the eternal enemy. Uh, Fenton Cairn said, after listening to the pod after the Magpies game, I was more than worried about today. Uh, then no Hoban starting. Team showed up and played every single second. Hope this could be carried far, carried far forward in all competitions. Don Dalgan said, despite the best efforts uh, of Harvey the Hoop, Dundalk dug deep and deliver a battling, gritty and disciplined uh, display to deliver something every Dundalk FC fan relishes. Vanquishing Rovers. Great displays throughout. Shepard was my man of the match. I'm still buzzing about the match. Ian Sharkey said, Andy Boyle would have headed a combine harvester out of the box this evening. Shane Dolhan said, incredible effort. Oriel and the players feeding off each other is unbeatable most times. O'Donnell urging more from the crowd after the red shows he knows that too. Eamon Kenny said, Oriel was absolutely rocking. John Martin battered Grayson Lopez, man the town. Shane McGurk said, the worst performing team tonight were the officials. An absolute shocking display. We were excellent. Archie Davis stole the show and Shepard was outstanding. What a performance. What a win with 10 men. Uh, Paul said, they played great, but oh my God, Rovers are dirt. What a waste of endless talent. Uh, Kieran says, Dara Lee to centre-back for good, please. Connor Califf said, a incredible effort and great Boyle's leadership, absolutely outstanding. Uh, Aidan Gonnelly says, Andy Boyle class, Shep's outstanding. Great team performance, uh, poor Rovers team. Bradley has done nothing to make any player better. They're an ageing team, are his days numbered. Uh, Memorial Park said we should be winning the league. They are crap, and I don't know what more evidence is needed. So, absolute love in there uh, from from our from our Twitter followers. Well, sure, why not? All of our fears and skepticism of last week's episode are are vanquished. I think the team deserve immense credit. The manager deserves immense credit. He gambled, and his number came up. He now has fresh players to go into this game midweek. In it was just emotionally. Psychologically, and as an occasion, an absolutely you know uh, great day for Dundalk FC and Dundalk FC fans. The draw for the next round of the cup is later on this evening, so we'll all be hoping for a home draw. We know that whoever we might meet, um, well, we've beaten the number one team in the country, so we shouldn't hold any fear for anybody else. And who knows, uh, a run to the Aviva Stadium is always something that keeps the season alive as regards the prospect of silverware. So uh, let's hope that that happens as well. So on what's been so far an immense week for uh, Dundalk FC and, and our fans, we roll on to Reykjavik on Thursday night and we'll be back to talk to you in our next episode about that game. I'd like to thank everybody for contributing on Twitter, Stroke X. Thanks to our contributors, Martin Mullen, Rory Murphy and Damien Kenny. And we'll be back to talk to you after our UEFA Conference League clash with KA.